This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay are joined by Aaron Perino, Andy Derer, and Eric Grubbs for a roundtable discussion on shoegaze. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Timonichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay! Tim! We have a full house tonight. The the uh, table is... The, the round table has been completed. Uh, we have a topic on hand, and... Um, ready for blast-off. We're ready for... Yeah, we, Exactly. So, without further ado, we're just going to get into this. We're going to be talking about shoegaze. We're going to try to figure out what what does that mean? What is shoegaze? Because that's a, a term I've heard applied to a lot of bands. And when I try to figure out what the connective tissue is between those bands, it doesn't always work. So, we're gonna we are going to definitively lay down the shoegaze law. Nobody's leaving until we figure this out. No, nobody's leaving. <laughs> This is going to be like in iRobot when they have the three laws with the robots. I know everybody's watched iRobot with Will Smith numerous times when it comes on cable, just like I do. I can't turn away from it. I haven't, haven't seen it. Oh, it's fantastic. Anyway, we're going to figure out shoegaze. We're going to talk about some of our favorite shoegaze bands. We're going to talk about the current state of shoegaze and all the things in between. Doing so with us, we have a... Um, a group of folks who have all been here before. I'm gonna throw it around. We're gonna go. We're gonna go geographically from east to west, from Boston, Massachusetts. Aaron Perino. Oh yeah. What's the Sheila Divine up to right now, Aaron? We're uh, almost done with the new record, so we're we're in the mix phase. So uh, next, like October, we're hoping to have something out. Excellent. Uh, moving a little bit farther east. Oh, you know what? Now I'm now I have to look at a map because is Chicago farther east than Dallas or west? I mean, or no, no, it's not. Okay, so in Chicago, Illinois, 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 Illinois. I can't. See. <laughs> <laughs> My nose is all clogged up, and I can't. Illinois, uh, Illinois. Is it a Sufjan Stevens album or it something? Sufjan. Yeah. Yes. Uh. Host of the Andy Dare Show, writer at EmptyLighthouse.com, various other things on the web. Mr. Andy Dare. Uh, Andy, how are you this evening? I am doing well. Thanks for having me back. I think five or six shows I've done with you now, and it's always a blast. Awesome. And then further west, Eric Grubbs, writer for the Dallas Observer, blogger at Theme Park Experience, host of Do You Know Who You Are podcast, author of the soon-to-be fantastic <laughs> entry in the 33 and a third series for Saint Anger by Metallica, <laughs> justifying... <laughs> it hasn't been okayed yet, okay? Okay. Oh, it's going to get okay. <laughs> it's going to get... Just for the snared sounds alone, it'll be okay. Right, brother. Y'all will not let that down, will we you? We will not. Never. How you guys? How you guys doing tonight, despite the Saint Anger hate? <laughs> Wonderful. Glad to, to make him Saint angry. Yeah. <laughs> um, Why I'm writing my book is because of people like y'all. Thank you. So put that out there. Lay the smack down. <laughs> so, Wikipedia describes shoegaze as a subgenre of alternative rock that emerged from the United Kingdom in the late 1980s and reached a peak popularity in the early 1990s. It was initially devised by the British music press as a as a way to ridicule the stage presence of groups of the period who stood during live performances in a detached, introspective, and non-confrontational state with their heads down, the heavy use of effects pedals contributed to the images of performers looking down at their feet during concerts. The sound is typified by a significant use of distortion, feedback, ethereal vocal melodies, and blurring of component musical parts into indistinguishable, indistinguishable wall of sound. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. We've just yeah. defined <laughs> shoegaze. It's true. So yeah. here's the problem with that description: is that it applies well to, I guess you'd say, My Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then My Bloody Valentine. The problem is, is that when you start to get into <laughs> other bands in the genre, they start to chip away at some of those core uh, descriptions. So I kind of want to go around the room and ask everyone, how does that definition apply to you? And are there other aspects of shoegaze that were not mentioned? Or are there things that are more important or less important in those descriptions uh, that really define a shoegaze band for you? Um, Let's go in reverse geographic order. Let's start with Eric. Okay. Ended with him. Um, we're all familiar with how you play guitar, right? I mean, of course, Aaron, you, you play in the Sheila Divine. Um, and Tim, you play guitar as well? I do, in fact, uh, play okay. the guitar. Um, so does Jay. Jay I, know you're, Jay, I know you're a drummer, but have you also played guitar? Uh, yes, I play guitar a lot. Actually, okay. I, I, at this point, I own guitars. Okay. And uh, Andy? Oh, yeah, I played guitar for 20 years. Okay. At any point when you were learning to play guitar, like electric guitar, I mean, was there ever a time that you heard that someone say, don't play an open chord, whether it was G, E, C, D, A, through a distortion pedal? Did y'all ever hear that? I did not. No. Nobody ever told me that. Okay. I, I randomly remembered reading in a Kirk Hammett column about how if you play an open strum guitar through distortion, it sounds too muddy. The thing is, that is the sound of shoegaze to me, and frankly, it's pretty awesome. Now, you have these bands that predated what was called shoegaze, uh, and they were American bands, and I know that there were big influences on, like, Kevin Shields, uh, My Bloody Valentine, but uh, Bob Mould of Husker Du, as well as um, uh, Jay Maskus of Dinosaur Jr., Mm-hmm. And so to me, like what I, I associate that is like really, uh, well, I, I'd say the best description I've ever heard of My Bloody Valentine's Loveless is that if you took Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music and the Beach, sound, uh, Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, that's what Loveless is. And so it, it is very much this idea of things that were previously thought to be taboo of that it would be too noisy, actually ended up being very melodic. And and through all the quote-unquote noise, you could find something that you really connected with. And to me, it was it was a lot of the melodies. Now, okay. I'll, I'll, um, yeah, so that's my long-term. <laughs> that's, that's the very long-winded answer to a very simple question. Okay. Andy, what about you? What's uh, What makes up a shoegaze band for you? Yeah, I think it's all those things put together, but I think like the big bang of shoegaze happened years before the Loveless album. I think it was Psycho Candy by Jesus and Mary Chain. I think that definitely typified the exact same thing where it was the most intense noise meets the most lilting melodies and, you know, beautiful songs and stuff like that. So I think that's kind of what the big bang was. Then it was kind of pushed over the hurdle with Loveless and then all the American bands were catching up in the early 90s. You could even say that the Smashing Pumpkins, their first two albums, especially Siamese Dream, had a bass and shoegaze. And uh, I don't know, I'd also say it's an image, too, because back then the Pumpkins, you know, they had the long hair, they had the Paisley print shirts, nothing's matching, everything is just kind of like a psychedelic wonderland and all their band picks. And you never see a shoegaze band with, you know, all crew cuts wearing uh, sweaters. You don't see that. You see... You know, the flowing hair is an, is another major thing for shoegaze, for me at least. Hmm. Aaron, your thoughts on shoegaze? My thoughts? Uh, I mean, for me, I think it's it's more like using effects pedals to make your guitar sound sort of unguitar like uh, that, that, like, you know, the, the use of reverb, delay, distortion, and whatever else... Like, uh, you know, Robin from Cocteau Twins, just very affected stuff. So, Well, let me ask you guys this, because we've all mentioned, you know, the, the, the importance of the guitar. Um, do you does the do you have to engage the whammy bar and bend notes for <laughs> it to be shoegaze? I think that's Not just necessarily- Bloody Valentine. Yeah. If, if you're gonna use the if you're gonna use like tremolo 
and the whammy bar, it seems like you're paying an intentional nod to My Bloody Valentine. That's what I hear. Well, because I want to mention a band, and this is one we can debate about. It's uh, Shoegaze credentials. Swerve Driver often gets lumped in with Mm -hmm. Shoegaze. They used quite a bit of uh, whammy barring, uh, tremoloing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it was necessarily in the same way. I think they were doing it in almost a surf style that went back to the very like early origins of rock. Uh, they were a band that was influenced as much by My Boy Valentine as the Stooges and you know that sort of primal rock. But that's a band I hear a lot of, you know, tremolo and. But then again, I also hear very uh, aggressive songwriting in that band, uh, song song uh, "Son of Mustang Ford" and um, "Duel" and a lot of songs that don't necessarily fit in with what I consider the, I guess the, you know, ethereal. Yeah. So. Can I mean, a... Jazzmaster is the guitar. I mean, of shoegazer, but uh, I still, I don't know. I still think that the the bend thing is 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 pretty much the My Bloody Valentine thing. I got a, I got a weird question. Um, do you, uh-huh. how, how about a Swerve Driver? Their big uh, comeback album. I actually thought it was stronger than My Bloody Valentine's comeback album. Both were great albums, but I think the Swerve Driver album just seemed like a like more of a breath of fresh air. And the uh, and and MBV kind of was just kind of slightly a retread for me. I, don't know. I, I agree. agree. I agree. Nice. <laughs> isn't the uh, the delay pedal the signature? When you really break it down in terms of talking about effects, isn't that the effect that has to be there for it to fit the genre? I think it would be distortion. I think distortion, distortion more than delay. That's just what I've found. I mean, that's that's like the common thing, whether it's a slow dive song, a ride song, um, even a chapter house song. I can go so, down the list of that I have at my disposal of all the song, all, of all the bands I would like to mention throughout this podcast. But um, but no, those are and Lush is another example. How about this? Could you have an acoustic band be shoegaze or could a shoegaze band do pull off a. Co- that's a good question. That would be a tough sell. Because like, because you would probably get like more, you know, descriptions of like, oh, that's kind of. When you say acoustic, I, I think a lot of people associate that with folk. But yeah, I, I mean, you, you could throw acoustic through all those pedals though too. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example, but I'm not coming up with one right now. Well, that that's why I was, uh, I was thinking of the delay pedal because it does yeah. so much of the work. Yeah, you know? I mean, I have I have mm-hmm. a couple of pedals uh, by this company called Strymon, and they have this one, the Blue Sky Reverb, and like when you, it has this like shimmer effect, and when you play it, it sounds like basically a keyboard um, with just one. It's like basically Sega Ross in a in a box, but um, <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. But you know, but that with yeah. delay, and it's like I mean, it's you can get so many shoegaze things. You don't even need the distortion, but and you add the distortion yeah. and it's sinister. So. Yeah, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of a Pale Saints song, one of their best-known mm-hmm. songs, uh, Write It Out. I think that has acoustic going through some a lot of effects pedals. I could be wrong. Yes, yeah, Sometimes by MBV2. It was based on acoustic, right? Mm-hmm. Off of Loveless. There's a couple, but yeah. few and far between. Right. Yeah, I mean, the key thing is that it, the, another common thing is just it's got to be an electric guitar. Yeah. Well, is does the noise of the electric is that the key element that separates shoegaze from say like dream pop, which is a little less abrasive? 
and more. I, yeah, like Cocteau Twins. Yeah. yeah. I thought so because some of the playlists and stuff I was checking out, there would always be a blend of the two. And my distinction was the Dream Pop stuff had less distortion than the mm-hmm. shoegaze stuff. Yeah, Mark Kozlik, would you put him Dream Pop or shoegaze or just an asshole? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> option three. <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, that was, that's a, that's a good question because, like, man, he would have some songs that would just they would just go nowhere, <laughs> and and they would have you know it would be on acoustic or be with a full band. I don't he know. did have I mean, some shoegaze early on. He was a four AD recording artist. I don't know. He yep. might still be, yep. or yeah, maybe he's doing his own thing. But back in the day, he did have some pretty cool shoegazy dream poppy sounds. So I can't completely ruin the guy on here yeah i mean like the full-on rock version of mistress oh my god that's amazing but then again the piano version of it is pretty amazing too. <laughs> yeah he can write you, you can't really take that away from him he can write songs but now yeah, is just don't go is just, see, yeah. yeah just don't go and see him live because you'll you'll feel terrible <laughs> that you actually paid money to go see somebody you know, <laughs> pretend to be an asshole for an hour yeah. and a half so anyway <laughs> not, not to get off track that's right just, is four AD is four AD one of the biggest? It's is that the biggest shoegaze label out there? Or? I, I would have to say Creation. Uh, creation. Oh, creation. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by go. if you yeah, haven't definitely. had a chance to see it, there's a documentary on Creation called Upside Down. Yeah, it's good. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really the Ellen McGee story, is what it should be called. Yeah. Um, but it's essentially Creation Records, and um, fairly I'm trying, to, trying to decipher. Uh, his and Bobby Vill- or, uh, Bobby Gillespie's uh, their <laughs> broken like, <laughs> yeah I understand you know it's like I saw the stone roses and I couldn't believe it but, you know yeah I was like this has changed my life Great. I gotta put out record that's far too uh, that's far too uh, distinguishable from what they're actually saying yeah. I, also um, ba- I also backed a film that on Kickstarter called Beautiful Noise. Yes, and I'm wa- I'm waiting that to come. I don't think it's on a streaming service yet. I think the only way you can watch it is by buying the DVD. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a little, it's a little bit like High School Project from an editing standpoint. They got some good. I mean, they got like a bunch of good people, but it, I just felt like it wasn't very. It wasn't put together very well. Oh well. Taking someone my, to film school, my, uh, you know, film critique. I mean, you're an investor, so it was, it was, it was fine. The creation, <laughs> the creation one's better. Yeah. Um, so one of the terms that gets thrown around uh, shoegaze in in London in the early '90s is the scene that celebrates itself. I don't know if you guys have heard that term before. Um, yeah. But it was basically that all these bands were we're all going to each other's shows and there really wasn't a huge, I guess you'd say popular outpouring for these bands. It was a very insular crowd that was going to see all these bands and mostly made up of the friends of the bands and the bands themselves and that sort of thing. Um, But the other aspect of it was that it was a very um, middle-class group of people uh, a lot of journalists were into shoegaze, and a lot of musicians were into shoegaze. And I'm wondering if, since the early 90s, you think that shoegaze has transcended that in any way? Um, we mentioned that Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Eric, or uh, no, Andy, mentioned that Smashing Pumpkins had some elements of, of shoegaze um, on the first two records. And there have been other bands that have shown a shoegaze influence um, I believe it's the term in the 2000s is called new gaze because they don't want to be lumped <laughs> in with the same shoegaze bands. So you get a band like yeah. Deer Hunter or M83, those sorts of bands that mm-hmm. have shoegaze influence. Do you think that it has transcended the poor musicians and journalists and um, that crowd? Or is it still primarily a sort of a, of a sub sub genre of music of alternative music that is not ever going to break through to any sort of a mainstream alternative audience. Anyone who um, wants to tackle that. I got to jump in real quick. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Aaron and Andy. 
But here's my thing is that there are some bands that very much do it in the style that are active now that do it in the style of how things were in the early 90s. Um, the ones that come off the top of my head are Nothing and The Lees of Memory, uh, you know, which y'all have featured John Davis before from Super Drag. Yep. And but the thing is, but, but then there are other bands that incorporate the shoegaze sound into other things. And a great example of that as... I would say is Death Heaven. They took black mm. death metal and mixed it with shoegaze. Yeah. Um, there's a, a band that's uh, is it's from Dallas, but they're on Relapse Records and they're called True Widow. And they take elements of doom, stoner rock with shoegaze. Um, and some other bands I would like to mention are Ringo Death Star and Sulk. So that's that's what I think. I mean, it. I don't necessarily know if it'll be as popular as it was in the early 90s, but there are definitely some great bands out there that it's gone beyond just kind of the shoegazer crowd. I mean, I, I like to say that Deaf Heaven's Sunbather brought My Bloody Valentine fans and Carcass fans into the <laughs> same room. That <laughs> has nice. never been done before. <laughs> it, it, at least in my at some point, we're going to do a show just on bands with puns for their uh, t- for their band names, uh, along with Ringo Death Star. Death Star. <laughs> I think there's like John Cougar Concentration Camp is one. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of them. Dale so, Earnhardt Jr. Jr. <laughs> yeah, at the Brian Jonestown Massacre. This is an entire show. We'll get to there at some point. Um, there are other bands. Uh, Tame Impala has some songs that have some shoegazy sounds in them uh the band yuck which uh put out a very dinosaur jr-esque mm-hmm. uh so dinosaur jr. so, yeah. again with a little bit of shoegaze in in some of that stuff uh as dinosaur jr being in a, a, a precursor in a lot of ways to that uh sound band from the early 2000s that i was a big fan of their first record and then they kind of disappeared was uh my vitriol um put out a record called fine lines yeah very much a a, a sort of a amalgamation of different shoegaze sounds and sometimes it could sound like swerve driver and then they could get really uh out there with some of the songs and i have no idea what happened to them after that record they just sort of any of you guys who are familiar with them know what happened because they just sort of no, disappeared I off my radar. I'm going to go listen to it. That band and there was I another unfortunately band. unfortunately associate them with, with uh, My Head. <laughs> oh. Remember that uh, band, uh, My Head? <laughs> we we did that. We reviewed the record. I unfortunately associate them. That's right, yeah. Um, <laughs> yep, the other band from that era that actually put out two good records, uh, Amusement Parks on Fire. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that. Jay, you might be familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, shoegaze, but but combined with some post-rock, like, weird time signatures, um, a bit more aggressive vocals than you might hear in your typical shoegaze song. There are, uh, by the way, a couple of releases uh, from My Vitriol after uh, Fine Lines. There's Between the Lines, which is outtakes. There's a live record called Cast in Amber and an EP. Okay. So they've been doing stuff. How about that? Well, how about that? <clears throat> I, I would even say, like, I know we talked about the Pumpkins, but um, what about a band like Hum? I mean, I think they kind of took uh, metal. I mean, back in the 90s, they kind of took a metal sound through a shoegaze aesthetic in some ways, especially the um, Downwards Heavenward album. 
mm-hmm. kind of gets into that space. Um, and even a band like Deftones, which were kind of way before their time in terms of, you know, Def Heaven or some of these other bands that are, again, merging metal with uh, with shoegaze. It was kind of, uh, it was, it's a genre that's been borrowed and harvested by other <laughs> you know, bands to kind of like take pieces and ideas and things and, and turn it into something new. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Anyone else? Uh, well, I'm just seeing like uh, the Boo Radleys, that Giant Steps album. What a classic. That definitely used elements of shoegaze, but wasn't part of the scene, I don't think. No, they would be considered more of a Britpop band, right? Yeah, and the Verve as well. I remember we were talking on the Britpop episode where we couldn't really put the Verve in Britpop. Now you can't really put the Verve in shoegaze, and maybe that's but a good Storm thing. Storm in you know? Heaven, yeah. Storm in Heaven album. It's, it's pretty. There's there's definitely major shoegaze going on. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. But yeah, they're another one that's kind of hard to hard to pigeonhole. It seemed like a lot of bands, especially the the British bands, started out with a first record that was shoegaze. Catherine Wheel, Lush, um, a few others that are escaping me at the moment, and then evolved out of that. Um, whether it was they consciously decided we want to go with a different sound. Um, yeah, the Catherine or, Wheel one, like their third album, was almost new metal, almost unrecognizable yeah. to the first two. It's not a bad album, but it's definitely not great. It's not. It's, it's not up to par with the first two. They got progressively worse. Hey, guys. <laughs> they- hey, Eric. Welcome back. Hey, sorry about that. <laughs> did you try to hit the mute button and you hit the hang-up button in that by accident? No, or did you just- no oh, I, okay. didn't, I didn't touch anything. I think my internet just kind of blipped up. I'm, I'm sorry if I interrupted anything. but No, it's okay. Go back we, to what we were... We were just talking about St. Anger. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no. Thanks, guys. Brand tick, tick, tock. Is it... We are all looking Peter's forward to that hate. book. You have you have three confirmed sales right now, which for most <laughs> yeah, thirty three and a third and, and entries is is actually <laughs> that's good, really good. So, why? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, who talked about what about hum? Because I've got a really interesting story with hum. Lay it down us. Do it. Okay. All right. Here's the thing about hum. I don't necessarily think of them as a. Uh, shoegaze band but i saw what i would consider the worst kind of shoegaze set that night it was at fitzgerald's and the opening band had just signed they just put out their first record on warner brothers records and they were a phenomenal band from austin called 16 deluxe Hmm. they were really upbeat people were very excited about them and then swerve driver played and swerve driver was boring as hell they got up there. They just jammed. Their songs just went nowhere. It was a huge letdown. And Hum was also kind of detached from their playing. And around that time, I can't remember if it was before or after, but I had heard the word shoegaze, and the description was, well, they just stare down and look at their shoes. And I was like, that's shoegaze? Then I hate this. But the thing was is that about a year or so later, I had heard Loveless, and I was blown away by it. A couple of years after that, I was introduced to Rides material. Actually, interestingly enough, through Carnival of Light, which is not really a shoegaze record, but that got me into their Going Blank Again and Nowhere records, which are heavily shoegaze. Those are mm-hmm. big shoegaze classics to me. So, totally. but yeah, I mean, shoegaze, I understand how it had like a negative connotation, whereas like these guys look boring. They're just standing up there. But the reality is, is that those records are pretty incredible. I could argue that the whole the whole shoegaze thing is better with headphones at your home. It's not a live thing. I mean, My Bloody Valentine, they didn't really tour that much, did they? I mean, I couldn't see the those shows being that great cuz a big thing about rock music is you got to get the crowd and you know, you got to keep moving around. Is it more of just listening on a record? I think that's where shoegaze shines, you know. Yeah, I do too. I think it's yeah better on album a lot of times let's talk about albums then what would you guys say in terms of your uh favorite shoegaze albums to throw the headphone headphones on 
and um, uh, you imbibe whatever uh, drug or alcohol or whatever is supposed to go with your shoegaze. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that was a part of the whole scene too. Was the uh, uh, Alan McGee's uh, <laughs> uh, drug intake uh, in as as purported in the uh, documentary that we discussed earlier? Uh, what would be your favorite album to throw on, Aaron? Mm. I mean, I was, I was like, oh, I don't, I thought we were going to, I don't know. Like, obviously, you know, I love Ride Nowhere. I love My Bloody Valentine, all those. Um, You know, I was trying to think of like albums that I listened to a lot that like not weren't as, but like, I love Kitchens of Distinction's Death of Cool. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know why, but I listened to that like in my car, like every day during college. So that was that was a big one for me and that's a band that people have suggested for us to check out so we might eventually i just think the guitarist is like very uh under underrated okay andy i would have to ask a question would you uh think that spaceman three is shoegaze hmm that whole sound that's a good question i think it qualifies but I would say it does too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't put them up in my you know top shoegaze album, but I was just reading here and I, they were comparing to them to shoegaze. Spiritualized is an amazing band that had better songs than Spaceman Three, and I don't know. I'd say they have a couple. They have definitely some shoegazy moments. Those extended songs and jams. Well, then you get into like space rock, which is a whole. Yeah, that's it's probably yeah. more than space rock. That's like a. You know the little sister to shoegaze, and I mean that in a nice way. Is that? Wait, this, how's it different? How's it different? Um, space rock, according to the Wikipedia, <laughs> psychedelic. <laughs> it has yeah more psychedelic, more art rock influences. Okay. Um, but then failure gets referenced as space rock because of literally these space references in their songs. Um, they do have some psychedelic, you know, songs, um, you know, um, more so oh, on sure. fantastic planet than any of the other records. Um, or probably the new one because of the, the segue songs and stuff like that. Um, that can be droning and can be uh, psychedelic. But also that there's space within the actual music. That it's not a that the there's more. Oh God, how do you describe this? Um, it's that there are not huge collections of notes all com- on top of each other. Like when you hear the opening riff of, you know, the uh, Fantastic Planet. There's a lot of space in what's being played. That's how. I would describe the uh, the space element in terms of actual space in the notes. I guess I just uh, asked that to torture you. Uh, you did torture me. That was <laughs> nice. torturous. I was like, "How long is this going to go?" The hot seat. <laughs> Let me just share this about uh, about albums that I would say are just like classic shoegaze uh, uh, records, other than the aforementioned ones. But to me, like rides going blank again, that would be my go-to one without a doubt. But some other like runner-ups would be Slow Dives, Slovaki, and Catherine Wheels Chrome. Um, Catherine Wheels Chrome is phenomenal. <laughs> See, I th- yeah. I'm, that's the one that I have a hard time with because I feel like they're starting to evolve out of out of shoegaze with that album. 
yeah, like the songwriting's tighter. Much, they were becoming much bigger than just a, a you know a shoegaze band. I mean, Ferment has a lot of washy guitars, and you know, Black oh, Metallic yeah. is one of the best songs from the '90s. Um, yeah, and like a song like "Flower to Hide." I mean, that that song's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Or I want to touch you, um, and, it, and it's just like I, I never would think like, oh, that's what's the difference between space rock and shoegaze? I just kind of heard it all kind of mixed in together. I mean, I've also heard dream pop be mixed in with it, but I would have to say like an element that we haven't discussed so far about what what makes it shoegaze and what makes it not. I tend to find that it can be very simplistic drumming. That said. The drummer of Ride is not a simple drummer, yeah, and that he's guy amazing. is all—he is all over the kit. I mean, when like when he, he hits that bass drum, and then he hits the snare and and crash cymbal at the very beginning of Leave Them All Behind. I mean, I'm like, oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> Leave by leave, uh, that. That's like my favorite song ever from that genre. Yeah, and then the guitar bends come in. I was like, oh my god, that's yeah, and it's an eight-minute song, and you don't want it to end. Another example is uh, Dreams Burned Down from uh, Nowhere. I mean, just you hear those drums and they're amazing. But with like My Bloody Valentine, it's very simple, like 4-4, four, four, you know, hitting the ride, hitting the snare on the one and two, or two and four, excuse me. And, uh, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's 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 more than just a wall of sound, of, of noise. It's like there's there's a... There's a melodicism that I just I can't get enough of, and whether or not I'm listening to it on headphones or not, I, I still get a very strong charge out of it. One one element, another element we didn't talk about that I don't know maybe defines the genre as much as any is that just the contrast between the vocal and the sort of the hugeness of the guitars. And in, mm-hmm. I found even I, <clears throat> I I you know Catherine Will is probably my favorite. Band if we're going to include them in the genre, but I think vocally they're so different than almost anybody else in terms of, uh, you know, he's not downbeat. He's not, he's very, you know, expressive and he sings loud sometimes. And I feel like a, most of, if not all of the rest of this genre, the bands we're talking about, the vocal is very restrained um, mm-hmm. and, and just in small and, and on purpose. It's just, yeah. that's the aesthetic. So hidden behind a lot of reverb. Stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, it's it's uh, just above a whisper, you know. Like Neil Halstead, a slow dive, you know, very much like. I mean, and even his own solo acoustic stuff and the stuff he did with Mojave Three is that it's melodic, but he's just so soft with his vocals. Right. Whereas with Catherine Wheel, it's like Rob Dickinson is like, "Hello, hi," <laughs> you know, and like Andy Bell and Mark Gardner of Ride. I mean, they 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 harmonized well together that I had a hard time telling the difference between them, but they were both like, you know, very breathy instead of very charging on the mic. Yeah. When your cousin's the singer for Iron Maiden, I don't think you have any other choice, but to grab the mic and go for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. One of the, uh, let me go back here to the, uh, my notes on this where we, uh, one of the things that was brought up, you mentioned about the drumming is that, you know, if you look at some of the 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 influencers on uh, shoegaze, you say you know Jesus and Mary Chain that you there aren't very dramatic or 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 uh, difficult drumming on on a lot of that Jesus and Mary Chain stuff. Um, I think it was a that's Bobby Gillespie on the really early stuff, right? Playing mm-hmm. drums, yeah. yeah. Um, and a, and the cure I, I think would be an influence on quite a bit of the um shoegaze early sho- the early cure stuff which is again it's not wildly complex yeah I'd, I'd like to think back to like the earliest uh incarnations of this sound you know like was it velvet underground with their feedback i don't know like what what would you think would be yeah. like maybe the earliest baby steps towards shoegaze you, you could probably go to like 60s psychedelic music like 13th floor elevators mm-hmm. and stuff like yeah. that yeah sure or the birds too yeah yeah and i i think a big influence on bobby gillespie's drumming on psycho candy was because of mo tucker 
of the Velvet Underground because he set up a very primitive, very uh, basic setup. I don't, I'm not even sure if he even had a <laughs> bass drum. I think he just hit a very large floor tom, just like how Mo Tucker played, and just like had a cymbal. And I don't even know if he had hi hats. <laughs> And, and what's what's also interesting is that this was a band that I thought released a glorious debut album and they were kind of forgotten about. They put out a couple more records, but I, they've broken up. But but a lot of people compared them to the Jesus and Mary Chain, and I'm talking about Las Vegas, where their oh, drummer yeah. stood up and, and she she would bounce between hitting a snare and a floor tom. And I didn't really notice it until I saw them perform on Letterman. I was like, oh. Yola Tango me. is doing it that way for their newest uh, tour, newest album, too. I saw them on CBS this morning, and Georgia, the drummer, is just standing up yeah. with two drums and a one little cymbal. So. Yeah, I think it's, as far as like the influence on shoegaze, it's like, how can we make such a huge sound out of very minimal stuff, yeah. out of minimal players, you know, not having, like, like what is it? Uh, the Lees of Memory, their lineup now is a six-piece. <laughs> right. And, and that's that's awesome. And uh, But, you know, the first record was John Davis doing the majority of things, Brandon Fisher helping out, and then they had the drummer. But for the most part, it's this kind of stuff is not easy to pull off with just one instrument. I feel and, like Shoegaze should not have a horn section, a string section, a gong player. That's all progressive. Shoegaze, you were totally right when you said, yeah, a massive sound with minimal ingredients. That's a little Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Overdubs are your friend. I mean, it's it's like, I don't know how many guitars are on Slow Dives records or My Bloody Valentine records, but I remember hearing there's a song on Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness where Billy Corgan just said, yeah, there are a hundred guitars on that <laughs> one track. Jelly Belly. I think it, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like 100 guitar <laughs> tracks. <laughs> well, that, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, in reading about Loveless, uh, there's a lot of perception about how that record was made and, and what effects are used and... and it was actually it was, it was super expensive. Yeah. It, it was super expensive. It almost bankrupt creation, but it was also it's not as um, there is there aren't as many effects. I'm trying to look back through my notes here where, where the what he said exactly that people think that there is like all of this delay and all of this things here and there that are going on with and they're using effects and it's really it's just the way he played them. And then process them in in the mix aspect of the of the whole thing. It wasn't that in recording that they were layering hundreds of uh, yeah um, you know delays on top of each it's other. It's less exciting than than the, the mythology of it. So right, we we, we played with Primal uh, um, Scream back in the day, and Kevin Shields was the guitarist, and we were talking to him, and my guitarist was like nerding out and asking. Mm-hmm. Asking him all the stuff, and after it, he was like, "Oh, just using like this one, basically box processor, and like he's like, it's just this preset. It's basically like it wasn't like as complex as as they made it. Like in my old guitarist, he was like a math. He was like you know, mastered records and stuff, so he knew what he was. Just like it's kind of boring how how easy it was. Because <laughs> then he yeah. went he went into rehearsal and like just did it, and it was like, oh yeah, there it is." Mm-hmm. Was that during the Exterminator album for Primal Scream? Uh, yeah. Nice. That's a like great. Him, it was album. him, Jim Reed, and and 
don't know, it was on a festival. But oh, okay, that's crazy so. with Jim Reed too. Yeah. I think that was the last record that Creation did with uh, uh, Alan McGee. Didn't he like sell the label at that I, it point? Was, it was it was after Exterminator. I think it was just okay. like it was it was in Belgium, like on some festival, and there they were. Okay. Yeah, because I think he mentioned like there. Um, there's no chorus used. There's no flange. Um, most of what he did, he just used with the tremolo arm, um, and it's not as, you know, people have this idea of him being like Brian Wilson or Phil Spector, like going crazy in the yeah. recording studio. But it's a lot more mundane than than yeah. That. that that was the other part. Like you know, you you heard all these like stories about him being you know whatever mad or whatever, and like talking to him he was just like you know this nerdy dude who was like macking on some belgian bartenders <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i would have to say that throughout the rest of the 90s there was just this mythos about the record and was there ever going to be another my bloody valentine record and i think kevin shields even said there will be another my bloody valentine record before bill clinton leaves office <laughs> wow yeah well, it had to take a little bit longer. And I think by the time that MBV came out, it was people were excited that they released something. They were touring again. And a lot of people that didn't get to see Loveless uh, live back in the early 90s, maybe they weren't even born yet, finally got to see it. But I mean, I, I it was smart of them to do that. But there was such a mythos about that yeah. record because you would listen to it and it wasn't immediately obvious how it was made. No, it's it's good. Yeah. It's and yeah. It, and you know, part of it is that how much did he really want to spend making another record and how much did he want to you know, just get away from that? I would imagine that that was a he, they did spend a lot of time making the record and he was I would imagine he's probably burnt out making that after making the record and you know, him going and producing other bands and playing guitar for you know primal scream that kind of makes sense if you were just sort of like completely immersed in something for i think it was like a, over a year mm-hmm. and then you just have to like get out of there for something and then and then it becomes this you know genre defining document um yeah that i, I would imagine that's a hard thing to follow up a lot of bands can't even make a good second record let alone one that's you're you're following up a record that has completely defined an entire genre of music it's like a lot of pressure had a hard time following up pet sounds right no yes i'm making a comparison between brian wilson and kevin (laughs) shields but i think right they're phenomenal both phenomenal songwriters in their own right hey axel rose had a hard time following up use your illusion one and two (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> he was too busy asking for reggae. Yeah, look it up, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a 33 and a third on Chinese democracy. Nice, <laughs> oh, Aaron. Well, Aaron, let me let me just ask you this: Was uh, shoegaze a big influence on your band throughout all all the years that y'all were very active with touring and recording? Or I mean, I loved I loved all that music, but um, you know, and like I you know, would say like, Oh, I tried to incorporate that. But I mean, I think I was probably more and more influenced by like post-punk and emo stuff probably. Mm -hmm. But I always try to like, you know, like now I'm, I'm definitely like more into pedals. So I, I I think more, more so now. Yeah. Okay. We we need to have a a show on pedals. We've, we've brought up pedals a lot on different shows. I, I remember a band called Gaudi that they were signed to Lars Ulrich's uh, record label. And the thing was, is that like the singer of the band, Johnny Gaudi, uh, like I think he had like a hundred pedals on stage with him on stage. <laughs> That's at a certain point, at a certain point, it's like it gets stupid. Like, I mean, even like I, I don't even know that many. And I'm like, I need to like get rid of some. It's it just becomes ridiculous, but that's that's amazing. When do you get to the point where uh, you can have somebody off stage running all your pedals for you? 
what yeah. what tier of rock band do you have to be at that, that that you can make that happen? Manic Street Preachers. When I played with them, he had uh, he had people changing his guitar sound. Mm. Hmm. James Dean Bradfield, yep. love nice. man. <laughs> nice guy. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just saw the Holy Bible tour here in Chicago about two and a half months ago. It was great. Mm. Didn't think I'd ever see them. Rubbing it in. What they do for Richie's parts? <laughs> oh wait, there are no Richie's parts. Oh, yeah. Hey, okay. So, <laughs> and I say that as a Manix fan. Okay. Yes. Jay, there was no actually something? like yeah. The Nicky Wire bass was not always played by Nicky Wire, right? Now we get off subject. I almost kiss. <laughs> it's like James Eha. I loved all of his parts. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Teenage Fan Club is that a band that fits this genre? Because they kept coming up, and they're a band I really like a lot. But I sort of struggle. I keep associating them. them with power pop. Just yeah, they, they, yeah, for lack of a better word, power pop. You know, even they though they kind of got like but, a downbeat, a little bit more of a somber kind of downbeat tone to them, though. Like power yeah, pop, I think of being a lot more, I don't know, up tempo and. I yeah, know. I mean, a song like The Concept and Bandwagon-esque, I mean, it's it's all, like, very straightforward drumming, mm-hmm. but super melodic at the same yeah. time. That was Creation, too, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Just layers of beautiful guitars and totally classic album. We've I've actually tackled that album here on the Dig Me Out podcast. So. That's true. That is the... Uh... Search the archive, folks. Yeah. Um, let, let me propose a question for y'all. What had been y'all's experience seeing shoegaze bands live? I shared my bad experience, but what about y'all? <laughs> I saw Swerve Driver and I also. And I saw Swerve Driver I, earlier this year and they were amazing. You know? I, I really like the record. I just like this. Mm. Um, I did go to the ride show. My bassist did. He said it was amazing. I just saw Slow Dive on this reunion tour. It was it was pretty good. I'm seeing Swerve Driver on Wednesday, which will be in the past when this airs, but it's in the future now. Whoa. So wrap your wrap your head around that. <laughs> who uh, who are they touring then, with? How were they? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I saw Cocteau Twins back in the day uh, on Heaven or Las Vegas, uh, and they had oh. like four guitarists. It was it was pretty neat. Hmm. See that is that a is that a shoegaze band or are they? I don't know. Totally, I I agree. It's shoegaze. That's a four AD, right? Yeah, I feel like they cross over to shoegaze at times, but then they also are in some other. Dream pop, I guess, would be a, a tag. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about the story of Shoegaze is, is that it kind of goes cold once Oasis comes along. Mm. And that breed, you know, that brought on Britpop. And yeah. there was just a different kind of thing. I mean, a song like Live Forever has huge guitars on it, but it, uh, that's a straight up pop song. I mean, Liam Gallagher's voice is right there in the mix. It yeah. was meant to, they wanted to be the biggest rock band in the world, and they became that. I think with a lot of shoegaze bands, they were just kind of like, you know, real mellow, and you know, they just wanted to play their music. I mean, I don't mean this in a dismissive way. As someone that has had been fortunate to see Neil Halstead a couple of times and gotten to talk to him, he's very nice, but he is very soft-spoken. He does not strike me as someone that's going to be like, yeah, I want to be the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Oh, oh. You know? Sure, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so the decline of uh, shoegaze would be just turns into Britpop. They turn down the distortion volume a little bit, maybe write a little bit better songs. I mean, there are some classic Britpop songs for me. I don't know about you guys, but uh, what do you guys think about the decline of the... Well, let me put it to you this way. Britpop had a, I think, a more um, definable... Uh, lyrical content for a, a couple bands in a couple years and then as the bands put out more and more records it became less defined 
but you know oasis represented a certain economic class and a certain type of listener um blur did the same and then sort of evolved to more of an arty uh sound shoegaze doesn't have that shoegaze because the vocal is so um secondary really to the music you know i can't tell you what belinda butcher's singing about in any my bloody valentine song i like the sound of her voice it evokes an emotion but i don't know what the hell she's singing most of the time so but i cl- i know what the hell liam gallagher's singing on rock and roll star or uh damon elborn on park life although i don't necessarily get all the references uh <laughs> because i'm not british um you're not but supposed I'm sure that to people- mate <laughs> yeah exactly but i know the people that in the uk did and that's why those you know shoegaze was sort of i think a bridge um in a lot of ways for uh people in indie rock you know le- or let me put it this way if you read the 33 and a third book on def- definitely maybe and it comes up in the documentary as well upside down uh no gallagher was a huge fan of my bloody valentine he lo- he liked that big guitar sound that they were getting and he just took it and went in a little bit different direction um mm. he refined it and he made it huge but if you listen to like the end of rock and roll star it gets very trippy and oh sure yeah. so he was not afraid to do that now when you when you move on into um what's the story morning glory or be here now you sort of start getting into the excesses of like layering the guitars and more so on be here now than I think more cocaine. Yeah. And more cocaine. Uh yeah. Which is not a shoegaze drug. That is not a that's not a drug that nah. goes well with shoegaze. <laughs> not that I not that personally, but so there is a connection, it's just it's like the and people forget that, you know, because Oasis was on creation, they were essentially quote unquote an indie band when they started. It wasn't until creation you know, got bought out. I don't know if bought out is the right term, but they they merged their business with the majors at a certain point that Oasis went not from being an indie band to being a, you know, major label band. Was it Epic was the label that yeah. they... Yep. <clears throat> okay. So... It seems like Britpop was better for the singles. Shoegaze was better for the albums as a whole. You know, I can't really I name agree. too many. Like, what would be the top three shoegaze singles of all time? I mean, <laughs> only Shallow. Probably one of those off of Loveless. Twisterella. Yeah, but those don't compare to in terms of impact of the biggest Britpop singles. Allison by Slow Dive. Yeah. But what's the what's the big song songs, on the Nowhere album? What's uh, not Polar Bear? Um, uh, Vapor Trail. Vapor Trail. There you go. That's probably yeah. the number one for me. It's pretty much a pop song with shoegaze guitars. So. I think if you want to hear the apex of shoegaze in the early '90s, if you can, I'm sure you can easily find it on YouTube. But it's Ride 1992 Reading Festival. Absolutely nice. incredible. <laughs> and Teenage Fan Club rocked that one, too, and were great on that same show. That's on YouTube as well. Yeah, didn't Nirvana also play that one? I believe so, yeah. Okay, yeah. But, you know, Ride, I mean, I ha- a number of years ago, they put out a box set of, it, it came with the Ride Best Of, but there was also a second disc of rarities, not B-sides, but, like, unreleased demos and then there was the third disc, and it's live at Reading, and it just, oh, nice, it pummels. <laughs> and uh, I think they, I think they later released that on DVD. I don't think it's they reissued the Ride records again in the last couple of rec, uh, in the last couple of years. And on Going Blank again on that reissue, it's them live at the Brixton Academy. But I, again, if you can find the Reading Festival performance, I mean that's that's it's well worth your time if you're interested, you know, and. I think the music still holds up well, but you know, like like Andy said, is that the albums stand out more than the singles. Like I can't say that I only like one song on Nowhere. I like the whole record. <laughs> Same with Going Blank again. Right. 
we're going to hit the hour mark here in just a few minutes. So let's, let's end this with, now that we have thoroughly defined shoegaze, we can rewrite the Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> is shoegaze an ongoing, evolving genre um, in the same way that, say, like metal is an ongoing and evolving genre? Or is shoegaze something that is locked into the late 80s or early 90s, and now we're just looking at mutated offspring? Whoever wants Definitely to jump in a on mutated the- offspring situation, you know? Okay. I mean, there are some bands trying to, uh, you know, lose a memory, at, at least when the band started, he wasn't, you know, shying away from that. He seems to be a little bit less excited to use that term now Um, right oh there's a band you know band like ray i don't know if anybody's heard them but you know they're i think unashamed to call themselves shoegaze um so there's still i think niches and new bands that are into it but it's not as you know it's not a a big umbrella genre like heavy metal that's for sure or country or something like that yeah because there's like a million bands that are you know sort of aping the massachusetts the like dinosaur junior type thing you know and i think a lot of bands are just doing hearkening back to like you know the 90s sound lately so um but i i don't think it's its own genre really anymore Uh, yeah i kind of wonder if kevin shields hates hearing the word shoegaze just doesn't want any part of it i've never heard of anything in the in the news like that but uh they they have to get irritated about always being put into that box you know well, I, th- I think, no- I mean, bands in general don't like to be categorized, right? That's true, I mean, yeah. But it makes it, it's like, you know, more for fans and for, for writers. Yeah, it's it's an easy go-to. It's a shortcut. But for the bands, it's just like, we're a rock band. I mean, interviewing so many emo bands from my book on post-hardcore and emo, they just wanted to be rock bands, not emo sure. bands. <laughs> I'm fascinated by like people when they start to sing when they, when they basically have the guts to finally you know start screaming like when does that point happen? And that's when you stand yeah. two feet back <laughs> from the mic, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you see, none of that would have been in shoegaze. It would always just be like I'm just kind of singing into the right. microphone. Right. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Are we done? Yeah. Okay. I, I want to toss off. Get a bit. So. Yeah, whatever they just make up the words sometimes on the spot. No one can hear the words anyways. So Yeah, they could sing their grocery list and if yeah. it sounded great, I wouldn't recognize it. No one would call them out ever. Yeah. I think You're that's why of- I like like what like Lee's memory are doing, because it's like it's it's kind of classic shooting gay sound, but it's still like, you know, John Davis is an awesome singer. So it's yeah. it's kind of a little bit more. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. And they have a new record coming out soon, so I look forward to, to it. Yeah. I'm glad he's back doing it. Yeah. Because Sisyphus Feds is like, I listened to the first three seconds. I was like, hell yes. Same here. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's put a bow on this particular episode. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Yay. Only one hang up. Yay. Yeah, we got through. <laughs> Technical issues be damned. I need to say thank you, starting in the East, to Mr. Aaron Perino. We look forward to the new Sheila Divine record coming out this fall. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Um, in the Windy City of Chicago, Andy Darer. Andy, what's coming up on the Andy Darer Show? Um, I'm going to be posting an interview we did a couple months ago with Tad Doyle from the band Tad. Um, we just wow. totally moved over all the podcasts to a different server, so you, unfortunately you got to resubscribe. Just Andy Dare on iTunes, it'll come up. Had, uh, had Teenage Fan Club, Norman from Teenage Fan Club this year. Had Chris Conley from Ministry and Revolting Cox. Um, bunch of stuff. Been about five years find it all at andydare.com and uh yeah i want to thank you guys for hooking me up with tank boy um ran into tank boy after or before we taped or after we taped i forget but at the manic street preacher show and he got me a gig at chicagoist so i've been writing reviews for them awesome. as well awesome. so we get five percent of that <laughs> nice 
Of zero? Okay. Uh, And, of course, down in the heart of Texas. Which is the heart? Is it Austin or is it Dallas? For me, it's Dallas, but Austin's a great town. It's just Austin (laughs) isn't the only cool town in Texas. It's the the cool town. Is that a Willie Nelson song? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. Let, let's put it this way. When I hear like, oh, man, Austin is great. I'm like, you talk to people that move there. They're more than happy to tell you about how crappy it is. Hey. In, a, in addition to the great things that are there. Hi, Jason. <laughs> I, I love it. There are there. It's it's a great town. I'm actually going to be there next weekend. Um, but as far as like the things that I'm into, I love living in Dallas. So coming down for some real barbecue. Uh, family, oh. a, a family reunion. You should come on up here and have real barbecue at, in the form of Pecan Lodge, oh. Mister. <laughs> a barbecue I, war. I, yeah. I fly. I fly through Dallas, in and out as fast as I can. I can oh, be. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you of go through the drive find... through. Yeah. You go to through the drive through a Taco Bell at, in in Austin, and somebody knows more about the fall than you. Let's put it that way. We don't have Taco Bell here. We have Taco Cabana. Come on. Okay. You're you're getting the weeds here. Sorry, Tim. You're getting the weeds. Uh, Theme park experience. Do you know who you are? Dallas Observer. All these things under the control of one Mr. Eric Grubbs. Thanks for coming back, Eric. Always good to talk with you guys. I have a good time. And good to finally meet you, Andy and Aaron. Yeah, same to you guys. Good to meet you. And um, when I'm in Dallas. Sounds good. I can ask you lots of questions about Sheila Devine. Great. I'll ask you questions about barbecue. Okay. Sounds good. That's what we do here. We make connections. and Love uh, it. We discuss barbecue. It's uh, the running theme. <laughs> we had a 45-minute discussion with Dale Crover about barbecue. So, uh, wow. That's what, we, uh, what happens on this podcast. Now I need to go get some barbecue. So... <laughs> I want to remind everybody who's listening, please head on over to our uh, website, digmeoutpodcast.com, if you want to suggest an album. And if you want to be some pos- leave some positive feedback, iTunes is the place to do it. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Yeah.